Hi friend, you are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, or maybe a friend just shared this episode with you and you are feeling a little wounded or skeptical of all things God-related right now, welcome. This podcast is just for you. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. My passion is Jesus Christ, and for me now, after having crawled through some real ups and downs on my own faith journey, I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is Lika. I've been one of uh, I've been on this program before as Janelle's special co-host, and Janelle is not here today. Um, she's working on something really special for February. Instead, here's one of our favorite episodes from the past 15 months. You're gonna love it. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood. I'm super thankful you're listening today. I am joined today by a very special co-host, my Dutch daughter, Lika. Lika, can you say hi? Hi. So today, <laughs> I am super excited to be chatting with a man who has made an impression on my life um, since I was age Lika is now. I was about 18 or 19 years old when I first started attending his church, Bethany Community Church in uh, Seattle. And he's honestly been on my dream list of people to interview for this podcast for some time. He travels and teaches all over the world with Torchbearer Missionary Fellowship, and he's the author of several books, including The Colors of Hope, a book that was selected by Christianity, Christianity Today as one of the best books of 2011. Also, The Map is Not a Journey and breathing new life into faith. He loves his beautiful wife, his family, and the outdoors. I'm so excited to welcome my former pastor, Richard Dahlstrom, to the Finding Something Real podcast. Richard, welcome. Thanks so much. It's a privilege to be here with you guys. Oh, Richard, um, I'm delighted that you're taking the time to chat with me today. Um, when you were my pastor now... <laughs> I can't believe I'm this old, about 20 years ago, um, your sermons and honestly, your life really ministered to me. Um, it helped me get through some pretty hard times um, and honestly helped me remember who I wanted to be. I I was telling Lika before we started recording that um, I was going through a, a season in my life in college where I had one foot in the world and one foot um, <laughs> with the Lord, walking with the Lord. And I, I wasn't sure which way I was going to go. You know, I had been a Christian since I was a little girl, but I was making a lot of choices that really um, weren't congruent with my faith. In fact, um, you said something in one of your sermons back then that I've quoted over and over and thought of over and over since that time. And um, this is Richard Dahlstrom circa 2000. I'm going to quote you. Um, <laughs> the world... <laughs> The world is watching to see if the way we live is congruent with what we say we believe. And more important than what we say we believe is how we live. Um, and I'm, I may be misquoting a little bit there, but I think you said that. And, wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you said amazing. that. That's amazing. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wrote that in my journal. 
And, um, and then I started walking with the Lord and got out of uh, some of those situations that I put myself in. And then September 11th happened. And I remember um, going to Bethany for prayer service immediately in the aftermath of that tragedy. And there was so much comfort and community and worship and the stillness of that sanctuary. I remember that. I remember that exact prayer meeting too. It was a powerful time. Yeah. And that was one thing I loved about going to Bethany. Um, Back then it was quiet, comfort, and peace. Um, And so what we're going through right now in this day and age um, with this whole coronavirus thing is tragedy that, um, but we're also not allowed to have that communal fellowship or it feels so different. So um, my first question to you is what do you say to people who offer to offer them comfort um, during this time right now? And how or what hope does the message of the gospel offer the world today? That's such a great question because I think uh, one of the things that's happening in the moment is uh, there's a revelation that seems to be occurring regarding kind of a, uh, a divide in uh, faith communities. There's a sense on the part of some people that, wow, if I believe in Jesus, I'm granted immunity from suffering. I'm kind of wrapped in this magical bubble and nothing's going to happen to me. And I'm going to be safe through all the, all the darkness in the, in the midst of this world in which we live. And then uh, something like this happens and we find, uh-oh, I'm not protected <laughs> the way that I thought I was going to be protected. And uh, so what good is my gospel if it doesn't protect me? And mm-hmm. what, I, what I've what i thought uh, has always for me been the most profound kind of benefit, I guess, if I would say it that way, of the gospel has been that uh, I'm offered companionship in the midst of suffering. I'm not offered immunity from suffering. I mean, that's just a... Uh, that's a bit of a joke, actually. Like mm-hmm. we can, when we look at the world, we see Jesus even says in John 16, in the world, you're going to have tribulations. And uh, as, the, as the New Testament unfolds, you see these Christ followers uh, suffering and uh, living, facing the effects of a fallen world. We're not immune from suffering, but what we are offered is companionship. And more than companionship, I would say we're offered this amazing source this kind of indwelling presence of the resurrected Jesus so that right in the middle of suffering, we can be people of hope and service and courage and joy and hospitality. And for me, that's been the great benefit of the gospel. I've never felt like I've been somehow granted immunity from suffering. I've had my own challenges in life just as everyone else has, but that, that companionship has been a priceless gift. I've never, ever felt like, wow, I'm abandoned or I have to face this alone. I've always felt the presence of Christ. And that, that's, a, that's a tremendous gift to me. Hmm. It's interesting because I was watching, um, you know, Pastor Tony Evans. Yeah, mm-hmm, okay. I do. So I was watching the funeral of his wife, Lois, uh, a few months ago. And his son got up there and he was talking about praying for healing and, you know, for that, that bubble, basically that, that God right. would heal. Um, I don't know. Did you see that Jonathan Evans, uh, his little, I, sir, it was no, funny, I haven't seen it. Yeah. Oh, it was so powerful, but he got up there and he just said, 
you know, we prayed for healing for my mom and why didn't she do it? You know, he's talking to God. Why, why didn't you allow, um, you know, <laughs> a miracle? And he right. said, he felt like the Lord just answered and said, either she was going to be healed or she was going to be healed. Either there was going to be a miracle or there was going to be a miracle. My, uh, eternal companionship or, or glory is not dependent on what you see in this world. Um, and that really encouraged me. Oh yeah. That's super yeah. powerful. Yeah. I mean, in my own, it, I, I would say in my own story, my, uh, my dad died when I was 17 of, uh, pneumonia and he had, he had contracted pneumonia multiple times as a kid. So his lungs were weak. So he was, mm -hmm. vul he was kind of vulnerable to, uh, getting, the flu and getting viruses and getting pneumonia. And, and he, uh, he went in for his flu shot in, in the fall of uh, 1973. And uh, the flu shot gave him the flu because his immune system mm. was so weak. And then he, and then he went into a coma, had pneumonia and then he died. And he, like his whole college career, he was a, he was an athlete. He played basketball, he played baseball, he ran track and what was powerful to me about his presentation of the gospel was that in spite of the fact that everything that defined him as a young man in terms of athletics had been taken from him, uh, he, he still had joy. He still had humor. He still had love. He still had wisdom. And I go, wow, I know so many people whose, whose identities are so wrapped up in, you know, what we do and what we own and, and, uh, our work and our net worth and all these things, all of which, as we know in this exact moment, are tenuous at best. Mm. And and for my dad, when that stuff was taken from him, he still had Christ, and that made him this person of joy. That was super powerful for me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's it's hard to. So, were you a believer back then? Um, how did you come to faith, Richard? And and obviously, it's been tested. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's a great. I mean, it's a great question. My the family in which I grew up, I'm adopted, and and I was I ended up in a in a family with profound faith, actually. Um, and I I came to Christ when I was a when I was a kid, but then I would say the the death of my dad also created a crisis in me, in that. Uh, uh, I was close to my dad and not close to my mom. And so I kind of got mad at God at the same time saying, man, God, why did you take my dad away? He was my best friend. Mm -hmm. And I went into this kind of period, what I call a vacation from God, where I was like this, you know, uh, you just, you just can't really love people because they could be taken away from you at any moment. And the pain is too much. So I, I kind of went into this period of withdrawal and depression, and I decided in that time that I was going to become an architect so that I could uh, so, so that I could have something remaining on the earth after I died. At least there'd be some buildings there with my name on them, you know. Mm -hmm. And and so I'd gone off to study architecture after high school after my dad had died, and uh, was invited to a ski retreat by someone, and I and I went, and at that ski retreat. Uh, a guy was speaking the entire weekend on Jeremiah nine twenty three to 27, which have become kind of my life verses where this guy goes, Jeremiah says, 
Don't let the wise man boast of his wisdom. Don't let the mighty man boast of his might. Don't let the rich man boast of his riches. If anyone would boast, let him boast in this, that he understands and knows the Lord. And that word know is a is a word implying not kind of head knowledge, but intimacy, you know? And then this guy who's speaking points directly at me. Like he's pointing at me, looking at me. He doesn't know me from Adam. He points at me and he goes, there's somebody in the room, you're running from God. You're mad at God. And because of it, you're lonely and depressed and you don't have a clue what you want to do with your life. You need to make knowing God the central goal of your life. And I could have been alone in the room and I just felt like this is what I need. I, I have been mad at God. I've been running from God. So I remember I went out and I got down on my knees in the snow and I prayed and I said, God, I don't know what this means, but I want to make, I want to know you and wherever that takes me, I'll go. But, but I'm made to know you and I want to know you. And that changed the entire trajectory of my life by, by, uh, that was in February. And by, by August, I'd changed majors, changed schools changed states, moved from California to Washington, where I attended Bethany Community Church, actually, as a as a college student. So everything changed from making knowing God kind of the North Star. And I would say that's still true to this day. And when I'm depressed, confused, afraid, I always come back to, okay, what's the main thing? I need to make knowing mm. God the main thing. Wow. So you said everything changed in what kind of like you said you moved and stuff, but um, what other yeah, points of your life changed? Yeah, yeah, great question. Well, I think uh, by virtue of uh, saying to God in prayer, man, God, I really want to know you. Suddenly, I, like I started reading my Bible and I got involved in a, in a Bible study in the dorm. I was still studying architecture at the time. But when I got involved in that Bible study, uh, I realized, wow, people's lives are being changed here. This is profound. And I just felt this pull. This is what I'm made to do. I'm made to participate in uh, changing people's lives. So I, I changed my major from architecture to music. And I thought I was going to be a music pastor. <laughs> so I so I went I I moved to Seattle to study music at Seattle Pacific uh, University. I started reading my Bible, but not just reading my Bible. I I I started having this sense of wow, you know what? Wherever I go, Christ is intimately present with me. And it sounds almost mystical, but like when I moved to Seattle, I'd never been in my life north of Sacramento in California. So like I'd never been farther than 200 miles from home. And like, I remember driving north of Sacramento in my, in my car going, whoa, kind of like uh, uh, in the Hobbit. Remember when they get to the edge of that cornfield and they go, this is as far as we've ever gone. When I got north of Sacramento, I was like this, man, I don't know anyone up here. If I get in a wreck right now, there's there's no one near me. And yet I there was no anxiety. In fact, to the exact opposite, there's this profound sense of comfort. Christ is my companion. Christ is my companion. And that honestly has stayed with me through my entire life. I've traveled and taught and found myself in pretty bizarre situations in different parts of the world. And yet uh, always having this sense of constant companionship of Christ. So that to me is still to this day, the most priceless gift of the gospel is this notion that 
Now, you know, we're going to go through valleys. We'll have peaks and valleys. There will be storms. There's going to be difficulties, but we will never need to walk alone. And that, that gives me great joy and peace. Mm. So good. So you went from never having gone 200 miles from your home to now, now you're a world traveler going all over the world, um, talking about, um, a man who lived 2000 years ago. And, uh, for some people who might be listening to this podcast um, who haven't uh, discovered that relationship, um, that might seem kind of weird. What what makes you do it, Richard? Why do you <laughs> why do you travel all over? What is it? Well, it's a it's a good question. I mean, I I think uh, the I, the question about wow, uh, people still believe this stuff <laughs> is it? I mean, it's a legitimate question. Like what a stunning claim. Like we're, we're talking right now about a guy who lived 2000 years ago and, and died. And then we're, we're saying, Whoa, he didn't just die. He, you know, he rose again. And that's, that's crazy. Like, I don't know anybody who's risen from the dead. So why would I, why would I believe this? For me, the, the, the root of it has been, uh, Jesus says to, Peter at one point in John chapter six, after talking about a kind of a difficult word, uh, he, he says, uh, so like there was 5,000 people there and a bunch of people left when Jesus gives Mm -hmm. this hard word. And then Jesus said, he, he, he says to his disciples, Hey, do you, do you guys want to leave too? And instead of giving kind of the Sunday school answer, like, Oh no, Jesus, we just think you're amazing. We're going to follow you everywhere. Peter's answer is, where else are we going to go? Uh, and and I just think that's a great answer because here's the reality. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're an atheist or a materialist or a communist or uh, or a, a, a Buddhist or a, or a Muslim or a Christian. Everybody has to believe something, right? And And so the question on the table isn't, am I going to believe or not believe? It's what am I going to choose to believe? And every belief system, including atheism, is a leap of faith. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at uh, some revelation, and then I'm going to combine that revelation with faith to say, yep, this is what I believe. I believe when we're dead, our body decays and the story's over. We can, we can believe that. Or... I'm going to believe that I'm in a, an endless cycle of reincarnation. We can believe that. I'm one of those guys who, when my dad died, I, I kind of looked at all these worldviews, and I'm with Peter. I go, when I look at all of them, where else am I going to go? Jesus makes the most sense. And so I don't say to people, hey, I know this with a kind of bomb-proof capital K the way that I know that right now I'm sitting in my kitchen, I don't know it that way. But what I do say to people is I believe this. And here is the fruit of my belief system. And the fruit of my belief system is a sense of joy and peace and confidence in the future. I say to people, even in the midst of this virus, there are, there's a lot of suffering and tremendous uncertainty. And many of us are facing you know, financial questions and all those kinds of things. And yet every day there's still beauty. 
every day there's still an opportunity to see something that God has given us as a gift, right? So I kind of say to people, no matter how deep the suffering is, every day's Christmas and God is giving us gifts. And that I like living that way, uh, as opposed to living in fear or a sense of despair, because when it's over, it's over. I think there's compelling evidence that Jesus lived, died, rose again. And when I've put my faith dollar down on that belief system, the fruit of that has been a greater sense of peace, a greater sense of meaning, a greater sense of calling. So that makes it worthwhile to me. Hmm. Lika, you have any follow-up question for that, or I can jump into another one? No, uh, you can jump in. Okay. It's all clear. Um, <laughs> so Richard, um, many of us are tired or grieving in this season. Um, almost every day feels like you turn on the news and there's something unexpected and fear inducing waiting to be discovered. And sometimes it gets personal. Um, I was just telling Lika, um, I know for me, we woke up last night to one of our kids having a fever and um, having a sore throat and vomiting. And immediately my mind went into overdrive fear mode. You bet. Um, and yeah. I'm a believer, right? Um, right. And right. I also have an extended family member exposed uh, who's been exposed to COVID-19. Um, so I feel like I'm just waiting for, you know, bad things to happen. Um, right. And so how, as a believer, do you reconcile that this is scary? It is fear inducing. And yet um, I, I go back to, I want to glorify the Lord during this time, but I want to be real about it because I have people who I love very much um, who don't, who don't uh, believe the same way I do. Yep. Um, and I do believe, as you believe, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? He, right. he is the best. Um, but, and so I don't want to, I don't want to live in a way that's not congruent with what I say I believe, going back to that quote from 2000. Right. But I, I feel like, how do you lament and suffer well? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I'm, uh, as soon as I'm done here, I'm actually kicking into gear for, uh, uh, I'll be speaking uh, this weekend for Easter on uh, Psalm 27. And what I love about Psalm 27 is it's kind of this dance of uh, uh, confidence followed by doubt and prayer, and then again, faith, and then fear, and then joy, and then and then mourning. And uh, I just love that. In fact, one of the reasons I believe is because the the, the Psalms are so real. That, that's not propaganda. There's moments in the Psalms when when uh, the whoever is the author of different various Psalms are like, they're like this. God, where are you? Like I don't see any evidence in this moment of your presence. And they kind of pour their hearts out that way because the reality is we do walk through these valleys of uncertainty. So I, I, I think uh, when I when I look at Psalm 27, I see this sense of uh, confidence. I know God is here somehow. And at the same time, I'm saying, God, I'm afraid. And I call out to you and I pray that you'll protect me. Uh, I agree with you. We're all facing that right now. I live with my wife and my mother-in-law, who's 94. And so mm -hmm. she's uh, in a of course, a very vulnerable state at the age of 94, where if she, if she gets anything, it could be fatal for her. And uh, so, 
every time we cough, every time, every time we get a little sore throat, which in this season could just be from hay fever, there's an immediate question, right? Like, what is this? And what, what does this mean? And, and, and yet, I think if we fly above it, we also realize, you know what? Uh, we can look back in history and we can see that this isn't the first time that this has happened. This isn't the last time that this will happen. None of us were ever promised uh, immunity from death, decay, disease. So, so somehow uh, what I've said to people pastorally in this moment is it seems that what's happening is the control of illusion is being stripped away. It's as if we've lived in this kind of uh, pretend world for a season where we're like this. Oh, you know what? Uh, put your money in the bank or put your money in the stock market, gain 8% a year. Uh, take your vitamins, never get sick. You know, go to CrossFit, lower your body mass index, read your Bible, feel the bliss of God. And, and in this moment now, it's like all that has been stripped away. And instead we realize, oh, I can put money in the market and it goes down. I can take my vitamins and go to CrossFit and still die of a disease that's brand new to the entire world. I can read my Bible and not feel the closeness of God. And yet none of that changes the truth. So this is where, this is where Psalm 27 is so amazing because uh, David, in, when he writes it, he's been anointed as king. And yet uh, there's another guy on the throne who refuses to relinquish the throne. And in fact, He's twice tried to assassinate David. So David's on the run. He's hiding in caves. And yet this is what he says. <clears throat> he says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that eventually I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that goes back a little bit to your uh, comments from that funeral story that you shared, right? Where mm -hmm. we, we go, oh, we're in a, we're in a story right now as a, as a species on this globe. We're in a story. But the story we're in right now is actually part of a larger story. There's a cosmic story. There's an eternal story. And if I'm with David, I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. When death intrudes and suffering intrudes and loss intrudes, uh, our great hope is that this isn't the end of the story. Uh, the guy who's the head of the National Institute of Health, Francis Collins, is uh, a Christian. And he said to me, I had dinner with him one night in New York, and he said, uh, what convinced him to become a Christian, having grown up an atheist, was when he was doing his medical rounds as, a, as an intern, he began to notice that uh, Christ followers who had terminal illness were dying in a way completely different than people who didn't follow Jesus. They were dying with peace. They were dying with hope. They were dying with joy. They were dying, still outward looking, caring for other people. And that was so intriguing to him that it set him on an investigation that eventually led him to read uh, C.S. Lewis' testimony in his book, Surprised by Joy, which eventually <laughs> led him to, to, to Christ. And he actually uh, said that he turned his life over to Christ when he was hiking in the Cascades. And one day he saw the sunrise and he goes, I, I see it now. I know who made it. I know there's a maker. I know that I'm made for a purpose. I know that I have a calling and I know that I need Jesus to live that way. 
and he prayed. And I go, wow, that's amazing. The, the turning point for him, what started his journey was seeing people who were suffering and the suffering was still real, but somehow there was a hope there. And that's what, that's what my desire is for people in this season is that we can turn to Christ and find Christ as a source of hope, even though we're afraid, even though we're in the fog of a, uh, of a new virus, even though there's financial uncertainty and vocational uncertainty. Can we find hope? And audaciously, I think God would say the answer is yes. Hmm. Wow. Well, um, I, I don't know. We don't have a lot more time left, but I have a couple, a couple final questions. And, um, and I do want to say something real fast because it's so amazing. When you mentioned Surprised by Joy by C.S. Lewis last year, um, actually at this time, Lika and I, were in Paris, France together um, with my mom. Lika, you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and it was my birthday. And um, I went to one of the most famous bookstores in the world, which is right outside of Notre Dame, uh, Shakespeare and Company. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Have you been there? I haven't been there, but I know of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. So I was, I'm a writer. I was very inspired. I wanted to go. Uh, and Lika and my mom obliged me. So we go into um, this bookstore and it's got all of these dark quarters and you can just feel, you know, like, ah, oh, people have been in here, you know, famous authors. Of exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, there's this little like alcove upstairs and uh, you can sit down and look out the window and see the Notre Dame. Oh my gosh. It was just magical. And um, I went up to a lady that worked there and I asked if they had um, a spirituality or, um, you know, religion section because uh, I, I've been to other bookstores in larger cities that have, you know, something like that. And um, they had this tiny, tiny section um, dedicated to spirituality. It was very hard to find any Christian books except for I Found Surprised by Joy by C.S. Lewis. And I oh, wow. It. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I just thought that actually, and uh, Lika, it'd be interesting to uh, know your perspective on this, but when we were going through Paris, people were not very happy. Right. <laughs> and so it kind of felt like that was, am I right, Lika? Um, yes, but now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're also getting into like um, nationalities and cultures and stuff. Um, French oh. people are known to be kind of distant, and especially if you don't speak French either. Yeah, that, that's that a that point. Is, I tried. Yes, <laughs> I tried to speak French. I I did. <laughs> I know, but French people just don't like it when people don't speak French. They kind of like yeah. are stubborn <laughs> and don't want to speak English, even though they can. Yes, but, that's true. We went into, an, or I went into another shop later on, or before that, I guess. And I was talking to a couple of French people who did speak English, by the way. And um, the guy asked, what do you think of Paris? And I said, oh, it's fine, but people don't seem very happy. Um, and uh, and it's a beautiful city or whatever we were talking about. It. And he said, oh, I'm from southern France, and I, I know what you mean. People aren't very, and in fact, I think he even brought it up. Like, people aren't very happy here. And this woman who was also in the shop um, she was a um, psychotherapist. She was a, a therapist and she started talking to me as well. And she said, oh yeah, in Southern France, we're a little happier. What is it like in America? And I said, well, yeah, it feels like there's a little more joy. And she said, um, and I, she goes, huh, um, 
you guys haven't forgotten your faith or something like that. And it was this really interesting exchange. And then she said, um, yeah, the unhappiness, uh, lack of joy or whatever, it's contagious. And um, I just was one of those really powerful moments. And so then when I found that book, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. (laughs) Um, So that that book is actually something I've been picking up quite a bit lately. Oh, yeah. Um, But Richard, I... Um, two final things. One, I wanted to quote something you said, and it really segues to some of the things you said earlier, but also to my next question. Um, and it's a long quote, but I want to share it because it was so um, meaningful to me when I when I read this, or actually when I was listening to it, and then I was typing it out. Um, you said this um, at Hume Lake back in August 2018, um, and I just listened to the sermon online. Um, you said, nobody is transformed by studying the map. You're transformed by taking the journey. The map is not the journey. The Bible is our map. The Bible is very important. Without the Bible, we don't know where we're going. But studying the Bible doesn't inherently make you generous or loving or hospitable or sacrificial. And that's because the Christian life doesn't consist of a list of beliefs to which you give mental assent. That's never been the goal. The most important thing is that you look more and more and more from week to month to year to decade to lifetime, more and more and more like Jesus. Joy, peace, hospitality, mercy, generosity, justice. That's the goal. And I know many people who know the map but don't look like Jesus. And later you said, we are transformed by the journey we take in response to the map because it's the journey that causes us to encounter Christ in very powerful ways. So, Richard, um, what are some practical resources that um, have helped you in your faith journey or what are some things I know that you wrote a whole book about that. So would you just share a little bit of if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, man, I, I don't know about my journey. Um, I I'm struggling. Yep. Um, yeah, no, thanks for asking. I mean, it's a, it's a great question and it's something that I feel really passionate about. Jesus in fact says in John five thirty nine, uh, he's indicting the religious leaders of his day. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them they have eternal life. And though they point to me, you're unwilling to come to me that you might have life. And I just get this picture of people sitting around arguing about the Bible. To what extent is it authoritative? And arguing about various interpretations of the Bible. How old is the earth? Is it 6,000 years old or 14 billion years old? And I just want to scream, you guys, you're missing the point. I mean, the whole reason we come to the text is to develop a friendship with Jesus so that by virtue of that friendship, we become more and more like Jesus. So I think for me, uh, the the practice has been, again, I go back to Psalm 27, which I happen to be studying this week. In the midst of David's crisis, even as we're all in crisis mode right now, David goes, one thing I've asked from God that I could behold the beauty of the Lord. And so I wrote in my journal yesterday morning as I was studying, what is the one thing that I want? If I could have one thing right now, what would it be? And I would agree with David. The thing that is sustaining to me and totally independent of finances, vocation, health, politics, world crises, uh, the one thing that is always available is I have the opportunity to encounter the beauty of Christ. And so I I try and uh, develop some habits to 
receive revelation from Christ so that this friendship and intimacy with Christ can grow. Uh, I, those are th- those habits I've written about in that book, uh, Breathing New Life into Faith. And one of my habits is what I call coffee with God. I get up in the morning and I and I pour a cup of coffee and I and I open my Bible and I read and I pray. And I often do it outside as well because creation is also a revelation of God's beauty. Uh, so I can be sitting on my deck watching the sunrise or whatever. Uh, but but as I receive that revelation, uh, I believe that I'm transformed by that revelation, that that revelation results in intimacy. And the thing is, if you try and develop habits of uh, meeting with God, it's a bit like meeting with us with a spouse, right? And so, Janelle, you're you're married, and so you know that mm-hmm. sometimes when sometimes when you meet with your husband. You guys laugh hysterically. <laughs> Sometimes it's tense. Sometimes it's uh, uh, you're being confronted with things you don't want to hear. And if we're honest, those of us who've been married a while, sometimes when we meet with our spouse, it's actually a bit boring. And we're like, oh, yeah, there was no there was no big, emo- <laughs> you know, no big emotional hit today. And yet here's the thing. I've never said to my wife, you know, uh, I've been bored two mornings in a row now at breakfast. So I'm going to give you one more chance and then, I, then I'm done. We just keep showing up because the, we believe that the act of showing up is what creates intimacy. And my mm-hmm. encouragement to anyone who's listening would be, hey, try that with God for a month. Just meet with God, pour a cup of coffee, open your Bible. Don't, your goal isn't to, you know, check a list and say, I'm going to do, I'm going to read a chapter. Just open your Bible and read a couple of things and, and, and then write a response in a journal saying, wow, thanks God uh, for a reminder this morning. Or here's a question I have, God, I hope you'll give me an answer someday. Or I met with you, God, and didn't see much, but I'll try again tomorrow. Whatever it is that we do. That consistent habit, uh, it, for me anyway, has been the foundation of a relationship of intimacy with Jesus. And that to me is still the greatest gift in the world because I can say to people, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who will be with me in my tomorrow. And it's it's going to be Christ. And so we have this companionship that is a great gift. It's mm, good. So final question. Unless Lika, you have something. Yeah, no, there is no question. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, can I just give a shout out to Lika? Lika is our first exchange daughter, and uh, I'm just super thankful she's here. So, Lika, thank you for for bearing with me and and oh. being part of this conversation. I really appreciate you and love you very much. I love yeah. you. Too. And I talk about you sometimes on this podcast, so you know now people now know people you're real know I'm real. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yes. <laughs> I would agree. It's just nice to have a, it's nice, nice to have a European voice on the, on the podcast because uh, I do think Europeans bring a, a very different perspective to faith than Americans. And so uh, I'm grateful to Lika that you're here with us today. No, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Richard, uh, the finding something real podcast is about a journey towards restoration or redemption, eternity, authenticity, and love of those four gifts that we can find in relationship with Jesus, which of those stand out to you the most right now in your life and why? Yeah, I think uh, authenticity is 
maybe the greatest gift that we receive from Christ. There's mm-hmm. this there's this thing in uh, in the I don't know where it is, but somewhere in the gospel, Jesus has given these disciples authority to cast out demons and heal people and all this stuff. And they come back uh, after going out and exercising these gifts, and they say to Jesus, "Whoa, this is amazing, man! Look at the stuff we did. It's like a, it's like <laughs> they're just they're just like so they feel so uh, energized because they have this like superpower now of some sort." And then I love Jesus' response. He goes, "Oh, you think that's great?" He says, "Don't rejoice in that." He says, "Rejoice that your name is written in heaven," mm-hmm. and. He, Think about how awesome this is. You have a name. I have a name. In heaven, God has given us a name. I I look around and I see people trying to make a name for themselves. We even say that, don't we? I got to make a name for myself through getting published or through uh, getting yet another degree or through getting a second home or through whatever it is that we chase after. In reality, we're trying to make a name for ourselves. And I go, you know what? I don't have to make a name for myself. I have a name. And and that enables me to live with a greater degree of authenticity because I don't have anything to prove because it's already done. God's, uh, God's already given me a name, given me a place at the eternal banquet. And so every day we're just living without fear that our life will end in meaningless ashes and that enables us to live with authenticity we can we can mm-hmm. na- we can name our fear we can name our doubt we can name our our at times our our cynicism or our anger god can take it it's no problem we still have a name that's good news wow it is finished to tell us pastor richard Dahlstrom, thank you so much for being here, taking the time and sharing your wisdom with us. We sure appreciate you. Um, Until next time. Thank you, friend, for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is a grace-filled, Christ-centered podcast for those who are wandering, wondering, or simply needing to be encouraged in their faith journeys. I hope you'll come back next week when I'll most likely be sharing a conversation with another guest about their journey towards finding something real. And if you're on Instagram, please come find me. On Fridays, I share Instagram Live podcast recaps at 11.45 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So if you're over there on the gram, you can join me for some fun live awkwardness. (laughs) And finally, if you're someone who was encouraged by today's podcast and you have friends who would benefit from hearing the story shared here, would you go ahead and share? You can do that by hitting subscribe, leaving a review, or sharing a link. Your telling others about this podcast helps bring other people along. And finally, just so you know, if you only remember one thing about this podcast, I hope it is this. No matter who you are or what you've done, Jesus Christ loves you, and a real relationship with Him is a treasure trove of restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. He's offering that gift to you today. I pray you believe it.